0: Welcome to the Challenging the Way We Age podcast, hosted by the Mavericks of Senior Living, Francis and Catherine, focusing on creativity, ingenuity, and inspiration to educate and inspire changes in the senior experience, breaking the status quo, and creating hope for the way we age. We want to thank our title sponsor during Denver Startup Week 2019, iAging. We want to thank our supporters, Assured Assisted Living, Serenity App, Sevens Home Care, Sevens Residential Memory Care, and Workability Co-working Space. Now get ready for the next episode.
1: Good afternoon, you Mavericks. I'm Francis Lagasse, your Chief Curiosity Maverick, and we are here at Workability, and I'm here with
0: Catherine Wells, your Chief Inspiration Maverick,
1: and we have a fantastic guest with us today, Mr. John Kelly, the CEO of Sarah Health. So, Mr. Kelly, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, can you tell us a little bit about Sarah Health?
2: Well, Sarah Health is a company that has two key components to it. One is utilizing the, the most advanced uh, functional imaging in the world, meaning um, taking a look at how the brain's performing. Something like an MR or CT will do structure, and we do that extremely well but the second component is once you have that imaging data it's interesting to be able to compare it to your blood work your Mm. genealogy background your cognitive testing so we run at the highest level algorithms that run pattern matching to see if you look like another patient that had toxic poisoning or ADD so it's cutting edge in the country right now
0: it's really mind-blowing when you think about what you're trying to do and i remember hearing about you last year at i think it was the social impact marketplace how did you come across doing this
2: well i have a uh, really long history starting with xerox palo alto research center all the way through the telecommunication mainframe software the, uh, cloud computing arena. That's been my area of competency. So, as you might expect, somebody like me might be intrigued from a curiosity perspective to see how it might be able to be applied to things like healthcare. Mm-hmm. So, I joined a board called SarahScan to see if I could add technical expertise to these brain diagnostic people. And okay. unfortunately, the CEO passed away. Oh. I had um, recently. Been in a company that was acquired. So I stepped in as a CEO in a healthcare company, which I had no background. <laughs> in. But the data side of it is emerging in healthcare, you know, artificial intelligence, pattern matching, precision medicine, all of those things. And I actually started coming back to my area of expertise. So I've stayed on.
0: That's that, awesome. And that makes sense because I think that's what the insurance companies are looking for, that's right? Correct. They need to have some data to be able to look at whether they want to cover these kinds of things, and that's what makes it accessible to the general population, is if it's covered by medical insurance. Can you talk a little more about that?
2: Yes, uh, you know, in fairness to the insurance uh, world, as it relates to psychiatric symptoms, it's been highly subjective. Um, you know, there's cognitive assessments, there's neurological testing, there's family history that's examined, and it tends to be a crapshoot trying to figure out what's really wrong. Unfortunately, in my opinion, medications were thrown at as the first line of offense. Hmm. Now, it could work, but by and large, what we've seen you know, in the vast majority of cases, meds aren't always the answer what is the answer needs to be discovered and you can't really solve a problem if you can't identify and quantify that problem so we've been on the mission to try to quantify as much subjective data, objectify it as it relates to psychiatric symptomologies and others. So give them a basis from which then to measure the efficacy of a drug or measure the efficacy of a hyperbaric chamber effort and we can do that today wow.
0: and can you talk more about what SARASCAN is and what it does
2: well the uh, the real primary mission is to give patients the peace of mind and the confidence that someone knows what's wrong with their brain disorders
0: that would be unbelievable if you can do that. So how do you go
2: about doing that? So it's really built around what we've seen in cardiology and oncology. So let's use cardiology. They're gonna get EKG, they're gonna do a stress test, they're gonna do blood analytics, they likely could do a CAT scan or MR. The cardiologist Try to collect as much information about the heart and the things that are flowing through the heart as possible. And they want to have a predictor, like for cholesterol, you know, for stroke, or other heart disease. So in the medical world, that's been done. If you think about it in the brain world, not the case. You have neurology, great on Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, Lewy bodies. I mean, they're after diseases, psychiatric. ADD, bipolar, OCD, and depression. Those two, those two professions are never smashed together in terms of sharing data and information. And does one cause, one disorder cause a psychiatric (coughs) symptom or is the psychiatric symptom leading to other functional disorders? Then throw in radiology (laughs) and then throw in oncology, because you could have glioblastoma or something like that. You've got a hodgepodge of highly skilled people who are subject matter experts and their defined area in the brain, and you don't see a collaboration or data collection inherently in that process. And you definitely don't see it in population health. So you may go in and get a diagnosis That's that could be done, but it is not the case where you're going to get an expectation of having it uh, be compared to patients just like
1: you. Huh. That. Wow. That's that's so important, though. I mean, because I'm a big believer, even when someone's aging, if you're missing some mental health issues or things that are, that could affect how they're aging and how they want to age, and they might not be able to express it if they have a dementia or Parkinson's that you, that we never treated. So. That's exactly right.
2: And studies are a way to do that. So we have, because of FDA approval for much of what I described, mm-hmm. it's a gigantic check the box. So in the medical world it gives us huge credibility to go and say we've made it through the FDA gauntlet. Yeah. It's a ticket to play. Gotcha. But when we have that, then we can say, with some scientific validation, that if you try uh, a treatment for early dementia, and we're able to give you highly specific a million data points in a brain and that treatment is employed and after six months we can take a look at that same brain and compare a million Data points to a million data points to see if there was any change That's in awesome. metabol in metabolic or or uh, perfusion levels. Did there is there increased blood flow? Is there increased activity? So it starts to tie together the science around is that treatment effective and who is it effective with?
1: That I'm blown away. But I'm <laughs> you are speechless, speechless Because we have. <laughs> Because I work in that dementia Alzheimer's area, and I feel like they just try drugs, yep. mm-hmm. and we don't know if it works or not yet. I almost get worried sometimes. Are we over medicating some of our seniors that have a dementia diagnosis, whether that's Lewy body, frontal temporal yep. Alzheimer's? And this would be amazing to know that like, this treatment we've shown seems work with this dementia, but don't use it for whatever that dementia. I mean that. That's correct. I mean,
2: every person's body reacts differently to different treatments, drugs obviously being one of those. But lifestyle, genetic predisposition, there's a current course of thinking in the Boston Corridor that um, inflammation Mm -hmm. in certain areas of the brain results from an attack by and Alzheimer's uh, or a dementia and the brain responds. Now I'm not a doc but right. a lot of people believe that beta amyloid plaque yep. which could be an indicator of that mm-hmm. is a result of the inflammation. The body's response is not very effective so far Right. and in many cases all of us have beta amyloid plaque and we don't have AZ, we don't have Alzheimer's right. disease. So why is that? And now you're we're we're kind of like CSI. We're tearing apart the pieces of the puzzle and looking at them objectively, drawing no irrational conclusions, but saying let the data surface on patients like you. That's awesome.
0: And you're the first people doing this,
2: correct? So yeah, you're really forging the path. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy yeah. uh, for us to say that, but I, I can tell you without fail. Back at the FDA or with the Harvard-Boston-MIT corridor, or going out to California and speaking with leading groups and what we're doing, it looks to be cutting edge. I, I would say it's common sense. Should have been done 20 years ago. <laughs> I could say a lot about yeah. that. <laughs> right, why weren't yeah. you know we drawing sophisticated blood panels? Uh-huh. And I'm not talking about what you get with LabCorp and Quest Diagnostics, which I do part of my physical. I'm talking about the proteomic metabolite, DNA, and antibodies. Knowing about antibodies, maybe your antibodies may be better than my antibodies, which is fighting off this invasion of infection, whether that's herpes, staph, Alzheimer's, is it an infectious process, and my antibodies you don't do a better job than you because I'm genetically programmed to have that. That wow. makes sense, right? So let's it, it go over, admit it. sounds good, but now we have to prove the hypothesis, and you can do that. We're one of the participants at Sarah Health and using Sarah Scan
1: to make that happen. This is something I've thought's been needed, and you actually explained it very eloquently, so I appreciate that because I don't think a lot, I mean, I don't have a medical background, per medical degree per se, but it helps to hear that you're attacking this with common sense. Well let me tell you a story. and I'll try to make it short. No, you're good. This is just recent. So
2: a family from Orange County, son, roughly 22, going to Cedar sinai Great Hospital, uh, was at the severe end uh, of the psych- psychosis and a battery of psychotropic drugs. Okay. According to the parents, the son was more in a drug drug state. In other words, they drug him to go to sleep, yep. drug him to wake him up, yep. uh, aversion to certain drugs, bad reactions. Mm-hmm. Some of them didn't seem, did not seem to work over time. He was basically house-ridden. Wow. Affluent parents. So they, after a few years, I talked to the father, so I'm repeating what the father said. They took him to Mayo, uh, Scottsdale. He said it was a 40 forty-five thousand-dollar four-day workup. Wow! At the end of it, by and large, Mayo doctors confirm their colleagues at Cedars Sinai. Hmm. Okay, so they did not give up. They found us on the internet, flew in to Denver, came to our Littleton office. The child's uh, uh, brain disorder history was cataloged. Blood work was done, and cognitive testing uh, was done, which happened to be out of Stanford, and then we did this really sophisticated imaging. So as it turned out, <clears throat> they said, "Well, what, what does, who does my son look like?" And he looked like roughly 20 patients who had, had carbon monoxide poisoning. Wow. Oh my God! Okay. That just, I so you. the father tells me, "I'm, I'm out of the office." Okay. The father said they go, he has to use our conference room. He calls and has a carbon, um, you know, a person come in and check the furnace. Mm-hmm. And came in, the guy calls back and says, I'm surprised anybody in your house is alive. <gasps> wow. The son's wow. son was living, or his room was closest to the furnace.
1: Oh, that uh, just gives me chills. They
2: had been taking and replacing the batteries in their um, carbon monoxide detector, thinking they were faulty. This young man was getting slowly but surely Poisoned to death by carbon Mm -hmm. monoxide. It wasn't a continuous event, it was only when it was engaged. So here's a case where this young guy was not psychiatrically impaired, he was brain poisoned. Now, that's a one case. It's still one. Right, but we've done 72 mercury poisoning Mm events, people in Alabama and Tennessee that have been exposed in an industrial process to mercury. We can tell you there's patterns associated with mercury poisoning. Lead poisoning goes to specific regions of the brain. So we would be ripe to help, you know, arguably the uh, uh, the folks in Michigan, right? So, um, you know, yes. yeah. so, so environmental issues, as we've seen, can cause psychiatric-like conditions.
1: Well, yeah, that almost brings up more like, what don't we know? What do we think is a dementia? What do we think is absolutely? It, you know, could it be an environmental? Could it be something else that we're missing? Because it's oh, it's dementia. Just well, you know, just from your work and this thing, that um,
2: there's a lot of falls. You know, people mm-hmm. with dementia or Alzheimer's fall a lot. Yeah, they could have a predisposition and be on a, on a way to a certain dementia. Mm-hmm. But they could also have uh, brain damage, like traumatic brain injury, that could exacerbate the situation. Mm-hmm there's 400 miles of capillaries in your brain did you know that no that's not making a note of that 400 (laughs) so they're teeny tiny if they become impaired whether they're torn from like a whiplash they're crushed from a concussion or they're uh, corroded let's say it's beta amyloid plaque Mm -hmm. how does blood get to that area of the brain it doesn't and when it doesn't how would you like to have a cut and not have any blood to get there. It will could get infected, right. Right. it doesn't heal properly, and the brain is no different. Wow. So, there's a lot of work here that needs to be done relative to the dynamics of the brain, and it is highly sensitive, and you could you could have these issues that I just described. It all requires now research to pull it out, but we're poised with 4,800 patients to do that and are aligning ourselves in the, I'm gonna use Boston University as an example where we're in collaboration with an Alzheimer's study um, based out of Harvard actually. That's awesome. um, around sleep apnea. Yep that's cool wow.
0: and are you how long have you been in business
2: so the company was actually formed in the throes of the uh, meltdown in 2009 okay okay um, I came in later uh, for that so effectively the revenue generation's been about nine years starting eight it's or nine years
1: still
0: awesome. Okay. Yeah, the work that you're doing is very important, and really, I would say it's the epitome of what we are doing here as yeah. Mavericks. Really paving the way and and looking at things and saying why hasn't this been done? So you're going to be
2: excited about this. We are a private company. Okay. Um, we have not gotten NIH money. Wow. We've done this with private investors like me. I think I'm second or third largest investor. Okay. It's taken a bunch of money. But our goal is to be like a salesforce.com, where you have a doctor in Alamosa who be able to go online, call it $100, and be able to say, look, I've got this patient, maybe it's Hantavirus, you know, down in the southwest Mm -hmm. part of the state. Or maybe, you know, they were exposed to uh, lead in the water uh, because of a mine tailing accident. And rather than them having to trek up to Anschutz, or some other place, that they would be able to take their information and data, do sophisticated blood work, do cognitive testing, perhaps get imaged, and be able to go do pattern matching through the cloud. That's so cool without having to go through all that rigmarole. And so we are set up to do
1: that today. Uh, I mean, that That's unbelievable. So basically, you'll get a database of baselines and yeah. comparables yeah. that you can just match. And yep. yep. And but here's the point. We should bring this kind
2: of stuff at the lowest common denominator for anybody who can afford it. This should not be the purview of the rich. It should not be the purview of the guy who flew in with this kid from Orange County. This information can help save lives. You can make money and do good at the same time. Uh, that's what Catherine you and I are our speaking our language. our language.
1: So with that being said, how can we help? What what helps make this more feasible for the public to get involved or to get to have this more readily access, available? Access. Okay, so, yeah, so the
2: FDA approval was about a year and a half ago. Okay. So now we're able to talk about it publicly. Okay. And things like this are helpful. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and some of our team go out and speak. So we're trying to make people aware that they should not give up hope. We are the ultimate if there's hope on brain disorders, we're it cool. today. And they've come from almost every state, multiple countries, so we're kind of the Stedman-Hawkins of brain in the country right now. Cool. And others need to catch up, yeah. so we're willing to share if we can move the healthcare process along. Awesome. We want to protect our data and algorithms. Of course. But in case of, a, um, you know, I'm in in you know, New Orleans and my son went through you know uh, uh, one of the hurricane events where he started you know, inhaling uh, fumes from one of the broken gas lines. We would like to be able to say, look, for a hundred bucks you can get a diagnosis that has a higher degree of reliability that for your doctor to go explore those things. It shouldn't be a 45 thousand dollar workup it should be able to say, let's narrow this down mm-hmm. and zero in on it. And mm-hmm. you can only do that with good data, good
1: science, and that's what we're about. Awesome.
0: And there are so many areas so of many. human life that you can affect with that. At so all, many. All
1: ages, too. Yes. Not just the, not yet all ages. That's yeah. just absolutely.
0: Yeah, but can you imagine the impact on Alzheimer's? Just, it's huge. Just, uh, we, we were at the walk this weekend, and just the numbers are so staggering. And you look at the, the people who are out there for the Alzheimer's, the walk to end Alzheimer's, And it's both sad and hopeful at the same time. It's very sad that there are thousands and thousands of thousands of people out there because they've all been affected by it. They're being ruined financially. Their families are are under tremendous stress. And yet at the same time, it's great because of the hope. And you're adding to that hope, right. in my opinion, with what you're talking and about. I totally
1: agree. And I think the part that makes me feel the best is going back to the medication is finally getting a sense as to if we're, this med is actually working or are we doing it more for the placebo effect because we think we have to do that. So, the,
2: the, so I Catherine I totally agree with you and um, I have two points to make of this one is there are times when it's frontal I'll use frontal temporal dementia Mm -hmm. that's really not a good situation and so when you walk out of the office at least you know what's there but you know that there's a problem that likely is going to deteriorate pretty rapidly. Right? Right. So we do have those share of those. But the fact of the matter is, on a lot of the dementias, what can... early diagnosis can lead to perhaps some interventions, whether it's diet, lifestyle, mm-hmm. don't eat fatty foods, whatever the <coughs> glutathione, whatever the doctors think. You really want to improve the quality of life, because we all are going to pass away of something. Yes, Let's sir. say we're predisposed for the dementia side of it but don't you want to have as many good years as possible and slow roll it so I I believe that we're in a position to help the medical industry figure out how to improve the quality of life right that's amazing so that that in and of itself is a big deal second thing I have um, two aunts passed away of the complications of Alzheimer's so Naminda and Aricep, Mm -hmm. two drugs
0: Yep. All right.
2: Know <laughs> yeah, <I, yeah>. uh, <laughs> them our, well. <laughs> our folks would say, my family would say, I don't know if that worked. I, I have no clue whether it did or not. It didn't seem to improve the situation. But when I ask, you know, Lily or anybody else, well, how did that drug get to that area? If your capillaries, those 400 miles, are clogged exactly what is the mechanism to get the and Aricept to huh. that area. And if you can't get there, how do you know if the drug work. is working? Yeah. Now catching it early would be their argument, but how do you know that? So once you, know, you have these symptoms that occur, it may be that the beta amyloid plaque or whatever else is really causing an impediment for the delivery of a drug that might work. Huh. Might. It There's 902, sense. when I was in Boston a few two or three months ago, 902 failed drug trials for Alzheimer's at that time. How many successes? Zero. That's a lot. And you know I really think the industry needs to look at what's going wrong with 902 times it didn't work out. And there are half a billion to 1.1 billion per trial. So it's not working in mouse models. It's, you can't get the drug to the delivery point. The population was the wrong one that you were looking at. They were too far advanced. I don't know. But uh, common sense would say 902 times in a row, something's not working here. It needs to be looked at. And
0: to come back to a point you made earlier about collaboration, there was something that you said on the panel Discussion about that particular trial or one of the trials where there were some things that were going yeah. well, but not well enough, so they were kind of discarded.
2: Can that's you can right. Talk so about that? um, that's all. Use practical example. Uh, four four women on my mom's side. Two passed away from Alzheimer's. Two <laughs> not. The two middle ones, no. Why is that? Huh. So let's look at let's look at why what are the common factors of their physiological and biological makeup why did two not get it when it should be something genetically you would assume be passed on so what are the characteristics of where their success and in the case of drug trials too often there are some drugs where it worked with a small population but not enough for the FDA approval not enough for the criteria of the drug company so why don't I go look at the seventeen percent of the people where it worked and there may be the secrets there because those seventeen may have good antibodies those seventeen may have certain genetic characteristics those seventeen may have had lifestyle kinds of things you know a lot of the research is around well they drank wine in Italy and Sicily, right?
1: <laughs> um, yeah. well, they eat okay. fish, right? The
2: they might. Diet. They might. Maybe yeah. they painted their toenails green. I don't know. <laughs> but go find out. What are the yeah. What are the most common characteristics? Okay. And if you look at data around the success factors versus the failure factors, you may get a different answer. And I do not know. And I'm sh- there may be out there I don't know of any significant research by any drug company and certainly by not by a lot of the universities who are looking at the cohort group where it was successful where's the reward of it
0: so we're in effect impeding innovation because we're not providing rewards there's to no
2: financial incentive yeah. To go do that, there's a financial incentive yeah. to find a drug that has some impact. I yeah. totally get it. Yeah. But where's the where's the where's the motivation
1: to go do the common factors, common characteristics? Well, couldn't you almost equate this though, and this is kind of to what we did in the '60s with the space race, where we put our best and brightest together through NASA, through private corporations, through whatever to race for that creativity to build something that we didn't even know if we could do it 9 years later or 10 years later they're on the moon. I mean so I just,
2: it they just wrote an article okay. that just got published exactly that same thing yeah. 400,000 people after a mission to to put a person a persons on the moon, right. And all of the disparate things, rather it's the suit, mm-hmm. they that food, right. You know the use of oxygen, the ergonomics of that. Yes, sir. All had to come together. Francis, you're dead on the money. If you go and look at I think we published it on LinkedIn, I'm, but it's I'm been, gonna check
1: it out. I am cause I yeah. and I'm,
2: we'll
0: share that in our yeah. notes for, I for our listeners.
1: S- what we're is doing c- now, it's the same thing let's get our best and bright. Let's not let's stop trying to build the next cool app. Let's start helping and having impact on people because it's going to somehow benefit us all. We might not know it today, but there's going to be benefit to all of us. Just like with the technology that came out from the space, right? There's things we're using now that were developed in the 60s and 70s. Absolutely. So that's good. I mean, that's refreshing. Can you tell us how people get in contact with Sarah Health or Sarah Scan? What what can they do to find more information about the offerings that you guys have?
2: So a great educational site uh, is www, Dot Sarascan and it's C E R E in Scan S C A N dot com. Okay. And that's a great site to go to.
0: Thanks for listening. The Mavericks want to hear from you. Visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Mavericks of Senior Living or Mavericks of Senior Living dot com and leave us your comments, questions, and ideas for future podcasts.